As the Exodus occurs, I'll ask you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Philippians, chapter 2. Again, I'm just thankful for little things. God is good in the big things. He's good in the small things, too. I was, uh, usually I preach from ESV, but I was thinking for continuity's sake that I preach from the King James this morning. And so I had to go into my storage unit to go, and uh, my library is all in there, and I knew I had a King James in there. Uh, so I went looking through boxes, and I, I got one, and uh, pull it out, and uh, it's my Old Testament professor's Bible. Maybe some of you know his, uh, his name, Ernie Miller, if that rings a bell. He pastored up in Edmonton. He passed away a few years ago. He died of cancer. Um, but I'm just thankful for little things. I look where he signed his name, and he always put uh, this, this happy face beside all of his... Uh, I got a couple books from him. Um, but uh, the guy had joy. I'm just thankful for that. Philippians chapter 2. Uh, we are going to walk in on a sermon today. Uh, maybe you've done that in real life. You show up late and you miss the first part, uh, but you're able to get uh, the meat of it. Uh, that's kind of what we're doing today. Philippians chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 2 are kind of like the introduction. Uh, famous passage. We'll read it in context. Uh, but we're going to look at verses 3 through 4 and focus in on those this morning, uh, looking at what it means to be a healthy community. Uh, and then it's interesting, he goes, verses 1 through 2 is an introduction, verses 3 through 4 is essentially a sermon, and then 5 through 11, which a lot of us run to because that's the kenosis passage, talking about the incarnation of Christ uh, and the exaltation of Christ, uh, that we usually run to that, but that's really just his application. Uh, of what he talks about in our text, verses 3 through 4. So we will read it, verses 1 through 4. We'll read it, and then we'll pray, and then we'll study it together. If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing... Be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let's pray. God in heaven, we do ask you to be with us now as we read your word, as we study it together. We pray that through your Holy Spirit you be moving in our hearts, that we would see this as what it is. It's your word. Lord, this isn't Paul's words that he just came up with. We know that he was fully inspired. Every word, every thought in these verses comes from you. It is the voice of the Creator speaking to us. Uh, I pray that we would respect it as that, that we would give attention, that we'd heed to it. And Lord, that we would learn and grow this morning. Lord, I pray that the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart, that it would be pleasing unto you, O God. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Uh, why are you here? I, I ask that a lot. I, I ask a lot of why questions. Uh, why are we here? Why do, why do we do this? It's, I don't know. I was an inquisitive child growing up, but I always ask that question. Why? Um, why are you here? Why did you pick a church to go to? Now, maybe you're here and you're thinking, well, I, I did it because Jesus told me to. I, I read it 
in, in the Gospels, how he's going to establish this church. And then I see uh, through the Apostles' writing and through Paul's writing that, that it's, it's something I'm supposed to do. But why did you decide this morning to come to church? To worship, probably. But one thing that kind of is at our core is that we need community. We need people. Uh, and when I was in Bible college, I didn't think that was the case for me. I'm kind of a lone wolf kind of a guy. I, I like to be alone and to read and to uh, do my own thing. And so I, I really didn't think I'm, I'm not really like a people person necessarily. I don't need people. Uh, and then I transferred from uh, Minnesota where I was going to Bible college and me and Heather and some others transferred to North Carolina where I finished at Piedmont. And uh, I got there at the college uh, about three days early than everybody else. Everyone was getting there later, all my friends. Didn't know anyone on campus, didn't have a car. Uh, this was back in the time where I didn't even have a cell phone. Uh, so I, I am there in this new place in North Carolina. I'd never been to North Carolina. I'm from Seattle. And so I, I, I'm in this new place with new people. And, and I found out how badly I need people. Uh, just even over a weekend, I was sitting there in my dorm room with nothing to do. The internet was out, so we can't even go on Facebook, even though that was like early on in the days of Facebook. But I couldn't go on Facebook. I couldn't communicate with the outside world. I felt uh, trapped almost, enclosed. And I remember, I'm not an emotional guy, but I was crying in my room because I was like, I, I need people, God. <laughs> I need people. We're like that. We need community. We need to be around other people. Now we know that not all community is good, right? Uh, there, there's good community and there's bad community. Maybe you've been a part of that bad community. Uh, the extreme example would, of course, be gangs. That's community, isn't it? Like, yeah, they call each other brothers and all of that. Like, they're, they're definitely in it together. All right, but that, that's not good. That's not helpful. So what is a good community? What is a healthy community? community. We, we are Moose Jaw Baptist Church, Ecclesia, called out ones. We are a group of believers here this morning. If you believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior, repented of your sin, you are a Christian and you need community, but you don't need bad community. You don't need a toxic environment. Maybe you've experienced that at other churches in the past, but you need healthy community. We all do. We need people. God is good, and He writes for us what that looks like. So that's what we're going to be talking about this morning, a healthy community. We'll look at six different points of what it means to be a healthy community. As I said, we're walking into a sermon, so we, we need to talk a little bit about the intro here. He says, if there be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies uh, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Now, are there consolations in Christ? Are there any, any comfort of love? Is there any comfort of love? Is there any fellowship of the Spirit? Yeah. Right, There's a rhetorical question. He's setting, uh, setting us up and saying, because of these things, then you can be a healthy community in these ways. He says to be like-minded. What does that mean? It means to be on the same page. That you love one another. You're in one accord. You're not fighting against one another. Well, how do you do that? Like, uh, 
again, I ask why questions and hows and practical, like, all right, that's great. I, I want to be like-minded. I want to be of one accord. We need to be of one accord. We need to be united as a church. How do we actually do that? Well, that's what he's talking about. So he begins by talking about the actions of a healthy community. All right, he says, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. So he begins with the outward stuff, the actions. Uh, what are some of the things that we do as a church? We do a lot of things, right? We talked about it this morning in Sunday school. We've talked about it before. We're together. We're, we're gathered this morning. We're worshiping. Or at least that, that's what we're trying to do. Uh, we, we pray. We give our offering. Uh, we do the word. We hear the word. We evangelize. Those are the things that we do in the church. There's lots of them. Um, but he says, let nothing, let nothing be done in th because of these things. In other words, he's saying, uh, out of all the things that we do as a church, 0% are to be done with these motivations. What are these motivations? He says, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Strife, uh, you might have it uh, a different translation. It means selfish ambition. Now, that's interesting because uh, we love ambition, right? Uh, in, in the world, we do, right? We love stories of like the underdog going out and doing something, and he just has the grit to, to go and do it. We love stories like Steve Jobs of starting Apple out of his basement and how he went from that to now billions and billions of dollars and doing all kinds of amazing things through technology. We love those stories. Ambition, we look at and we say that that's good. Uh, but he says that there's a specific type of ambition that we are not to be uh, having as a motivation in what we do in the church. Selfish ambition. It, basically what he's saying is that of all the things that we do as a church, 0% are to be done with a motivation that has you at the center. That has me, what is best for me. That's what I want. I want in the church what is best for me. That, that's not where we should have our, our motivation. So let nothing be done. So some motivations are bad like this, of strife, vainglory. Some motivations are good. Uh, last week, um, uh, we had the Martins over. It's a usual thing. Uh, but they all went to the park to go play basketball. And I was, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm one of those parents who's kind of like a helicopter parent. And so, so I'm like, I don't, I don't know, I don't want Andy to go over with them. I'm not going to be there and stuff like that. I'm weird like that. All right, but uh, I told him no. And, and look on Andy's face. Uh, he was so sad. He just started crying after they left. And you know, I want to go hang out with my friends. And I felt bad. I felt like, oh man, I made a mistake on this one. Look how sad my son is. So I, I, I took him to Walmart and we looked at Legos and like, you know, tried to cheer him up. Now you might be hearing that and say, oh, that's sweet, Dean. But what if the story had been that, oh, my, I told my son that I didn't want him to go to the park and he just started whining and complaining. And so I was like, fine, I'm taking you to Walmart and it's just so you could be quiet. I don't want to hear your whining anymore. What would you have thought of that? Not great, not great, Dean. Now, it was the first, all right? I'm just getting that clear. All right, but uh, motivations kind of dictate what the actions are, right? So some motivations are good, some motivations are bad. Here, we see uh, that strife is one of those bad motivations. 
because uh, really what it says is I'm at the center, I'm at the core. Uh, my decision-making process, it's about me. Now, I, I worked at uh, the United States Postal Service for a while in North Carolina, and, and uh, I hate that job. I tell my wife all the time, thank God I'm not there anymore, uh, and, and I, I do say that a lot. <laughs> uh, but uh, one of the things that I really uh, disliked was that it was a very selfish uh, atmosphere. And maybe you've experienced that at work. Uh, I heard this a lot. I'm a get mine. Now, this is North Carolina, so uh, this is just how they talk. But uh, they would constantly say that. I'm a get mine. Uh, so it doesn't matter what the boss tells us to do. Uh, it doesn't matter that I need to help out my coworkers. No, why? Because it, I'm at the center. I'm a get mine. I'm, I'm, I'm going to make sure I do what I need to do and I get that paycheck and I make it as easy as it can be for myself. Well, some of us come into church with the I'm a get mine attitude uh, that I need to be filled. I need uh, to, to be in this ministry. I need this. I need that. And church no longer becomes about Christ, but it becomes about me. And you say, I'm a get mine. That's what he's talking about, selfish ambition. This destroys this, this, uh, this excuse that we use of, uh, you, maybe you've even said it, uh, I'm not being fed here. Well, church isn't about you. Uh, or there's nothing for me here. We use those as excuses. I, I, I'll, I'll be the first to say I've said that. Church isn't about you. Healthy community is not about you. Uh, so number one for our points today, healthy community is completely devoid of selfishness. If selfishness is at the core of this community, it's not going to go well. It's going to be a toxic environment. It's not going to be a healthy place where you can grow. Now why is it a bad example or a bad motivation? Well, because it's directly opposed to the mission of the church. If you say, well, it's about me, well, that leads to then this idea of vainglory, uh, which, which literally means empty worship. When, when you are doing things for you in the context of the church, you're saying that this is about me. I need to get some worship. I need to get some praise. What are you doing? You're actually stealing worship from Christ. An example of this would, of course, be the Corinthians. You could always use them as a bad example, pretty much. Um, but the Corinthians, they did a lot of things wrong. One of the worst is actually when they, they take communion and they warp it. Uh, they, they call it a love feast, and there's no love in it. That's what Paul tells us. Uh, but they, they, they're having this love feast, all this food at communion time, and some are, are getting fat, and, and some are starving. And, and it becomes this thing of, it's about me. I need to eat and be merry, and, and this is a great time for me. Yeah, yeah, Dale's over there, and he doesn't have anything to eat, but I don't care. It's about me. They, they warped it. Uh, they, they made this, this beautiful time of remembering Jesus Christ and worshiping him and made it about themselves. They wanted to worship themselves. John Chrysostom, um, widely known as the greatest preacher in all of Christianity. If you don't know that name, you should Google it. I uh, lived in three about three 50 A.D. to 400 A.D., somewhere around that time. He says this when he was preaching on this. Selfishness is the cause of all sorts of evil. From it comes strife and rivalry. From these come jealousy and contentiousness. He goes on to describe how it breaks down churches because everyone's so focused on what 
I need to get in order to be fulfilled. They're so focused on self that they start ripping apart the church. So Paul's uh, idea of how do you become a healthy community? Well, you take self out of it. Do nothing. Absolutely nothing. Zero percent of what you do is to be done through strife or vain glory. What is the contrast? Well, he says, instead, in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. So here's the complete contrast to that selfish attitude. It's humility. We know what that means. We know it means lowliness. We know it means to be brought low. Uh, but what does that mean underneath? What does it mean to be low? What does it mean to be humble in the church? Well, again, God is good and He shows us. He says, uh, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. The word esteem means regard uh, or to think about, uh, to count. Now, I want you to notice that he's not saying treat. This isn't about actions yet. This is about what's happening in your mind. And he says to count others better than yourself. Now, some people will try to wiggle out of this and say, I don't, I don't like the sound of that. I don't want to think that you're better than me. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to say that means significant or important. And those are all aspects of it. But the word literally means better. It's hyperexo. It's more than just significance or importance. It means surpassingly better. If I had two cars out front, and let's say one is a, a 1980 uh, Ford Pinto, and, and one is uh, a 2018 Ford Mustang with you know, all, all the bells and whistles, and I said, those two cars are out there. I want you to look around and tell me uh, which one you want. Uh, who's going to pick the Pinto? Colin, no, you're not. We're at church. Don't lie. No. No, we're not going to pick that Pinto. Of course we're going to go for this Mustang. Why? Because it has better performance. Because it looks better. Because it's way more awesome, right? Like, it's better in every measurable way. And that's what the word means here. It means that you look at your brother and sister in Christ here in our church... And in your mind, you say, you're better than me. Now, maybe you're starting to go, oh, that, that sounds difficult. I don't want to do that. Um, I don't want to think of others better than myself. What does that really mean? Well, in the context here, we always have to define things by context. He's talking about servanthood. That's really the whole point of this text. Uh, he, he's going to show that through the example of Jesus Christ here in a few minutes. All right. Um, so I think really we can boil this down to two different ways that we can look at each other and say you're better. The uh, first one would be that your needs are better. Your needs are better than mine. In other words, I look at what you need and I say, maybe my needs, I could put those down a little bit because your needs are better. You need this more. And so I'm going to focus on that. I'm going to give. I'm going to make sure that I am pouring myself into you. Your needs are better. Uh, so healthy community, it places priority on others' needs. It also, when we say that you're better than me, is that your motives are better. Your motives are better. I don't know about you, but I have issues with 
being skeptical. I'm just like looking at things. My wife's laughing because it's true. Uh, I always go to the worst. It's kind of like my, my, my personality. It's part of me. Um, but that's no excuse for it. It's wrong. Uh, and in the context of the church, we're actually supposed to look at each other and always assume the best in one another. That's super hard. Because I have, to, I have to look at you and say, regardless of how this looks, whatever the situation is, whatever the words that were said, I have to, I have to just assume that you meant the best with that, brother. I, I have to assume that you didn't mean to hurt me. I have to assume that uh, you have a good motivation for what you're doing. Now, it doesn't mean that we're stupid. All right, but when we look at one another, we can say, all right, I'm going to place my skepticism aside for a minute. And because we have the same Holy Spirit uh, in, in, in each one of us, I'm going to assume that you have the best motivations for what you're doing. That's difficult. Uh, the best example that I've seen in culture of this I talked a little bit about this this morning. It's a Wonderful Life. I love that movie. I know I'm, I'm super old. But uh, I love that movie. I watch it every Christmas. I have a hard time resisting the urge to watch it until Christmas Eve. Um, but uh, one of the things that I love about that movie is this community uh, in Bedrock Falls. All right, uh, this, this community here, they love one another. All right, so much so when George Bailey, uh, the money goes missing, and I want you to think about it for a minute. The, the community, they never get an answer about where that money went. Now, old man Potter, he took it. All right, but, but he never comes out and says, guys, it was me. Don't, don't blame uh, George Bailey for this. I'm, I'm the one who took the money. He never says that. But all the people, despite that, they think the best of George. And they go around and they get all this money to cover this expense that he lost or that his uncle lost that he's taking the blame for. That's what this looks like. It's self-sacrificial. A family in this group, in this community, in this movie, uh, they were living in a barn before George came. All right, so they, they had needs, but they give anyways. All right, um, and, and they assume the best in this man and say, I, I don't think that you did that. And, and, and so they give. That, that's what a healthy community looks like. Now, as a church, we could do far better than that, right? That's, just, that's a secular movie. Uh, we, we should be able to go far and above beyond that. Now, if you're thinking, all right, well, if I think that people are better than me, then that's pushing me down, right? We, uh, we're in the world. Uh, we understand how it works. Uh, we worship the, the pagan god of self-worth. That we, we, we think that self-worth is what's most important. We hear it from Oprah. We hear it from uh, radio. We hear it from all over in books. It's everywhere. That you do you. Don't let anyone tell you that you're wrong. That's your self-worth. You, you, you find it within yourself, all the value that you need. Well, what this says is that you don't. In the context of the church, your self-worth is this. It's zip. Because you have to understand who you are. You are a sinner who had no worth, who in Ephesians 2, chapter 1, is lying dead in the pool of sin, and Jesus has to come and rescue you. He gives you worth. You have to find all of your worth in Christ. And if we're all doing that, then we understand who we are. And we can say, all right, you're better than me because of what Christ has done, because of the Holy Spirit within us. 
There's no pushing down here. The best uh, marriage advice I ever got was that marriage is 100% gift. Maybe you've heard that. Uh, at the time, I had never heard that. I, I was always told that it was 50-50. But it's 100% give. You give yourself completely over to your spouse and say, uh, your needs, I'm going to meet all of those. I'm going to make sure that I, I bend over backwards to, to make sure that you are fulfilled. Uh, and then at the same time, this other person is doing that for you. Right? So at the end of the day, if you think of it, about it like a cup of water, you got two cups, and, and you give 100% over here, 100% over here, both cups are still full, all right, just, uh, despite all the, the jumbling that you might have to do in order to do that. All right? Um, but both cups are still full. Both cups are fully uh, satisfied. And when in the church, if you think that, uh, if I'm here and I say, all right, you guys are better than me. Your needs are better. Your motives are better. I'm going to assume the best in you, and, and I'm going to say that about you. you got to do that for me. So at the end of the day, no one's getting pushed down. This isn't some kind of, like, everyone just thinks, woe is me, we're all Eeyore, and uh, saying, woe is me, I'm terrible. No. We're thinking the best of one another. So healthy community is reliant on others. There's no self-independence. It's completely reliant. That's unnatural to the world, but it's totally natural as, a, as an implication of the gospel. All right, so that's the, the actions of a healthy community, the attitude, humbleness uh, of a healthy community. Let's look at the priorities. Verse 4, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. So here are the priorities. This, uh, this reorientation, that's a word, reorientation of uh, our attitudes means that our priorities shift. All right, if you really think that, all right, you're better than me, then my priorities are going to shift from focusing on me to now focusing on you. He says, look not, which literally means to take notice or to focus on. And he says, look not on the things. I don't like that translation, I'll say it, because uh, it means business. It, it means uh, not just like some random idea of things, but it's your interests. It, it's the things that you're about, the things that you do. Uh, every day you go to work, Right? Uh, every day you have things that are your responsibilities. It's your business. And, and here Paul is saying that look not every man on your own things. Don't just focus on your own business. Now we, we, we live in a world, uh, we call it the screen generation, where, where we're all glued to our phones. It's gotten so bad. Maybe, and maybe you've been like that of, like, uh, I know I've struggled with it at times. You're having a conversation, someone's just, like, glued to their phone and not giving you, like, the moment of the day, and you're just, I'm sitting right here. I don't care what Facebook has to say. I've got something to say. Right? We're like that. Uh, it's, it's gotten so bad that Apple, this past week, uh, they, they made waves with uh, a new aspect of their operating system coming out in the fall where they're going to help you gauge and limit your phone use. Think about it. This is how bad it's gotten that the maker of the phone is saying, whoa, slow down. <laughs> you don't need to use this phone all the time. All right. Uh, so uh, you, you're going to gauge it. You can see how much you use it, and then you can put limits on it. It's good for parents, stuff like that. Uh, but that's how bad we've gotten. That's how addicted we've become. And that's not something new. You know, now we have a phone to look at. 
But we've always been like that. That's what Paul's saying. We are addicted to ourselves. Uh, we, we, we love to focus on us. I don't want to talk with you guys. I, I want to do what I want to do. I want to focus on my own things. I got a place to be. Stop talking to me. Right? We do that. We, we might not say it, right? but we definitely think it. Uh, we are addicted to ourselves, and we, we focus on our own things. Not in the church. Not in the church. We don't do that. We don't focus on your own business. Look what he says. Look not every man on his own things or his own interests, but every man also on the things of others. Stop. All right, let's, let's say what this verse does not mean. All right, this verse does not mean that we completely ignore our responsibilities. All right, look what he, look what he says. He says, but every man also on the things of others. All right, so it's not just... All right, completely be rid of yourself. And that's what a lot of Roman Catholics have gotten wrong. Uh, one of the main things that they've gotten wrong. All right, but uh, they, they say, all right, uh, I'm going to completely devoid myself. I'm going to lash myself. It's, it's completely emptying of myself. That's not what he's saying. All right, what he is saying is that you take care of your responsibilities. You take care of your business. But don't just stop there. Don't be so consumed with yourself that you totally ignore your brothers and sisters in the church. No. Uh, so that's, number one, what it doesn't mean. Second thing is that it doesn't mean that we become busybodies. That we just, oh, did you hear? You know, we're supposed to look not on just our own things, but on the things of others. So did you hear about Dean? You hear what he was doing? And we get up in each other's business, and we, and we start making rumors, and then gossip happens, and all, all, all of a sudden there's a rift in the church. All right, that's not what he's talking about. So what is he talking about? It means that we just help each other. It means you be nice. It's as simple as that. Be kind to one another. That you focus not just on your own stuff, but you look out and say, hey, does my brother need some help? Does my sister need some help? I, I need to be there for them. I'm not just going to be so consumed with myself, but I'm going to serve them. And that's what a healthy community does. A healthy community seeks opportunity to serve. You don't just wait for it and say, well, if he asked me, I would. Right? We do that a lot. Of we, like, we can't read each other's minds, right? You've got to say what's going on so that your brothers and sisters can say, all right, now I can go and help. Or maybe you have to dig deep and have a good relationship with that brother or sister and know that when they're going through something, that maybe they're not telling you to everybody, but you know. And you can be there. Don't just focus on your own stuff. Focus on the stuff of others. How do we do that? Well, there are physical ways. Philippians is actually a great example of that. Turn a page, if you will. To Philippians chapter 4. I'll start reading at verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, and now at the last... Uh, at the last, your care of me hath flourished again, wherein we were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to uh, be full and to be hungry, both to, be, uh, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me." Notwithstanding, ye have well done uh, that ye did communicate with my affliction. 
Now ye Philippians know also what in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and the glory of Jesus Christ. All right, so the Philippians are a good example. Um, they aren't rich. Actually, if you do a case study, Philippi, it's not like a rich city or something like that. They were a bunch of farmers, mostly. All right, they, they had needs, but they looked at Paul, who was a brother, founding pastor of their church, and they look at what he needs, and they say, we're going to give. We're going to give sacrificially. We're going to help him. We're not just looking out for our own business, but we're going to focus on what he needs as well for the furtherance of the gospel. So there's physical help. We should help one another physically, monetarily. Helping one another in the church, it might cost you something. You might have to pull out your wallet every once in a while. We can also help each other spiritually. Galatians uh, chapter 6. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a, uh, in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ, as told in Galatians 5, is love. For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. What is he saying? Sometimes you've got to help your brother and sister out in a spiritual way. Maybe there's a struggle that they're going through, maybe emotional, maybe a sin that's in their life, and that's specifically what he's getting at. All right, some sin that's overtaken them, and you've got to reach out, and you've got to have a good enough relationship with that person that you know what's going on, that you're not focused on yourself, you're focused on what they need, and you step into that situation and say, let me carry that load with you. Being careful not to lose your own burden, Right? In other words, to drop the ball on your own sin. Um, but you need to also help that other individual. That's what a healthy community does. So how are we doing? How are we doing as a church? How are we a healthy community? How are you specifically contributing to the spiritual health of this church? The health of this community? Well, maybe... Maybe you're thinking, well, if, if I only had an example, like, a, or like instructions of specifically what to do, what it looks like. God is good. He wrote it down for you. All right, Philippians chapter 2, uh, verse 5. It's interesting. It's interesting. This deeply theological passage is actually just written as an application as to give you an example of what it looks like to be a healthy community in the church. Verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So think like Jesus, 
who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. So here is Jesus as God humbling himself and taking on the form of a servant. What is he doing? He is living out what we are supposed to do as the church, humbling ourselves and saying, you're better. Uh, your needs are better. Your motives are better. I'm going to serve you. Verse 8, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And of course, we have this glorious uh, idea of his exaltation. Wherefore, God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth, and in that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So if you're thinking, how can I be a part of this healthy community? How can I contribute? Well, a healthy community follows the pattern of Christ. You do what He does. You say what He says. You think like Jesus thought. He's God. He could have sat on His throne and be good and sovereign. Yet He humbled Himself for your good, for my good, and said, no, I'm going to fulfill their needs. I'm going to satisfy their needs. So a healthy community is completely devoid of selfishness. A healthy community places priority on others' needs. It assumes the best. It's reliant on others. It seeks opportunity to serve, and it follows the pattern of Christ. Let's pray.